Welcome to the Newtown Business Association's Business School Podcast. Our goal is to help you make the most of your business by providing you with information and advice from fellow NBA members. I'm your host, Rodney Warner. Thank you for joining us for episode three of our podcast series on sales with Andy Rich of Sandler Training. And in this podcast, we're going to be kind of wrapping things up, talking about different things about sales. Thank you again for your time, Andy. My pleasure, certainly, Raji. So through episodes one and two, we talked about, you know, kind of the basics in episode one and the the magic of questions on episode two. And now we're, we're hoping to wrap things up. And, and what came to my mind, you know, after we finished episode two was, was closing because we talked a lot about doing your research, doing your homework, asking the right questions. And that's obviously critical to sales, but you got to get the person to agree to buy whatever you're selling. So how do you take the next step from preparing and putting, doing a great job, asking and answering questions and getting the actual sale? How do you do that? Well, you know, everybody thinks that closing is the biggest factor in a successful sales approach. And it's the final one, but it's not the most important one. What I mean by that is you never arrive at the close if you don't do a great job in the first several steps of it. Qualifying a customer, is this person in a position to make a decision? Is this person got access to budget and authority? Is this something that really does fit and helps them out? If those questions aren't answered and to the positive, you're not going to get to the close. It doesn't matter what flowery phrase you use. So It's about qualifying the customer up front so that you're in parallel thinking with them. If he's arrived at the point in his mind where there's tremendous value to him as a buyer, it's as easy as saying, well, when would you like to take delivery? Or we have a a 0% financing. I know you usually buy in cash, but what if we could work that out? Would that make a difference? And it's acting calmly and coolly like you are, even though underneath you're saying calculating out your commission, it should be the easiest thing in the world after you've done great steps up front. Does that make sense? It sure does. And I, and I hope it works for everybody out there. You know, we talked about, you know, conversations, questions, answers, but, you know, depending on what you're selling, you may be giving a presentation to either an individual or a group. You know, that's kind of part of the process. You're educating the customer. You know, what do you think are keys to having a good presentation? Okay, so I'm going to put a little bit of a comment in there. And that is, there are great presenters and there are great sales presenters. And what I mean by that is, what you present is more important and what you do not present uh, present is more important than being a great presenter. And what I mean by that is people tend to obfuscate the, the real offering, the real benefit, presenting it and all its features, advantages, and benefits. You know what happens when you present all those things and the customer doesn't want that part of it? You end up talking them out of buying it. Let's say you're selling some software, right? And he wants it for three things to connect with accounting, to do his billing correctly, and to, uh, I don't know, keep a good CRM database of his, of his customers. And you go talking to him how it integrates with security software and how it does the coolest job ever connecting with marketing, you're going to make guy, the guy say, hey, listen, this stuff is too complicated for me. I just wanted something simple. 
This is going to be expensive. All these flags are going off in his head because you didn't listen to him up front and when he told you that those three things were very important to him. So it's what you don't present that's probably the most important thing in a sales presentation. What are the best ways to get your foot in the door? How, how do you get the person to agree to talk to you or spend the time with you or to, you know, so you can make the presentation? What are the best ways to do that? So it depends on which door you want to get into. Is it really the front door? Do you get the back door? I think the key thing here is relationships in short. And if you don't have them, you're probably not going to get in there. So you got to develop them and you're going to look for them in your networks. And those networks to a salesperson is huge. If you don't have those, you're probably not going to be very valuable to your upcoming uh, employer, those that you're, you know, uh, looking for a job with. As far as small business people, the same thing is true. That's why the NBA, the Newtown Business Association, that's why we exist, to network and to understand who's who and get introductions. How you get your foot in the door literally, you know, I've been in uh, selling copy machines back in 1985. I'd wheel a copy machine up to the very top of the, uh, of the uh, building. I use the elevator, of course. And I wheel it into offices. I was not welcome at that particular time when I bust the door open. It did not create the greatest of rapport, but is a way of prospecting. And to some extent, we were uh, successful doing it. I've also tried to go into hospitals who have the best security in the world. And I had to go in through the um, shipping dock, which is a way of getting in there. And if you're able to get in there and build relationships from there, you have an account. But I think one of the key things going back to relationships is now we have social networks and LinkedIn is unbelievably powerful. Depending on how you use it and how well you're able to communicate with that network, you can really actually build very strong virtual relationships as a way of getting into the exact people you want to meet having them introduce you. LinkedIn is crazy good for salespeople nowadays. And it's very common for, I would guess, everybody that, you know, most of us don't like saying no. We'd probably, if if someone is talking to us about potentially purchasing something, we might say, well, I really don't need it right now. Or I need to talk to so-and-so. Maybe we'll need it in six months. If you're in a sales position, how do you handle these polite ways of saying no? That's an excellent question. If it comes down to how productive you are as a salesperson, let's say you're selling a very uh, high-end product, i.e. the cost of it. That one interaction is going to be pretty darn important to you. And when you get face-to-face -face with a high-level decision-maker, it's not often that, that that happens. So at Sandler, we teach something that's really effective and it's called the upfront agreement. And effectively, when you meet the individual and you get the time on his calendar and confirm it on his or her calendar, then you get to the next step where you're confirming how much time you have in front of them and you're confirming an agenda and you're adding things to it. And as you get to the end of that, that prelim of your of your presentation or, or appointment, you talk about the outcomes. Professionally, when you go through laying all that out, your customer or your prospect is gonna say, this guy came to play, he's done his homework, he's a professional, I wish my salespeople were this professional, and he'll offer you an outcome before you even get to the presentation. And that is, hey Rodney, 
at the end of the presentation, if this looks like it checks all your boxes and really can make you more productive and efficient here, is there any reason why we can't take the next step and sit down with your partner next week? Well, no, Andy, that'd be great. So at the end of that, you give your presentation. They like what they see. You've already asked for and received the permission with the partner. So it's not hard at all to convert at that point the appointment you had asked for up front. It's yes or no, and there is no in-between at that point. It actually works tremendously well because people respect professionalism and not wasting one another's time. You know, I, I imagine, maybe incorrectly, that that might be a hard thing to do because let's say – you know, I'm looking at two or three software suppliers and two or three of them are giving me presentations. So if you're the first one, it'd be really hard for me to commit saying, yeah, we're going to go with you after your presentation because I haven't even seen what the other guys are going to do. So is that really an effective way to get a sale? Yes. I didn't ask for him to buy from me at the end of my presentation. I asked for him to let me meet with his partner and him next week. He said yes. He didn't have to offer that yes, but I didn't get aggressive and obnoxious knowing that he's looking at three others. That sequence of earning the right to talk further about X, Y, or Z, you know, if you've done that in the conversation, professionals buy off on it. They appreciate you not wasting their time. They appreciate you not coming in with some hard clothes. Uh, they just want, they want to uh, be able to take care of their business and they like doing business with professionals. So I wouldn't ask for that. I mean, if, if I was in a different business at a lower at a lower cost point and I didn't care if I ever saw the guy again, sure, I could do that. Uh, and it might be a throwaway. That's not my style and that's not the style we teach. So it's a good point. But I think I think when you get the subtleties of these things and you appreciate the position of the customer, you don't ask questions that are hard to say yes to. Sound fair? Sounds fair. All right, then. It would sound even better if I remembered the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> so whether it's a presentation, questions, answers, you know, the topic of competitors comes up. What's a good or is there a good time to talk about competitors in comparing, you know, what makes you different and what makes you better? Where does that fit? That's a touchy one. If you think about it, though. You just pointed out that one of your prospects might say, I need to think it over. When you have, when you think about competition, you got to think about more than just McDonald's versus Burger King. What you got to think about is, okay, I'm going to skip lunch is another opportunity to go with something else, right? Take another decision, or I'm going to make lunch myself, or I'm going to go to a fourth uh, opportunity or a fourth competitor, if you will. What I'm trying to say is there's some decisions that are non-decisions and there's some decisions that, you know, give real possibilities. So how do you handle it? There's a couple di different ways to handle it. I usually like to stack the deck by understanding exactly what the customer needs and being able to articulate our value proposition vis-a-vis uh, -vis what he's looking at looking at doing. So if I've gotten four or five things of those of those small agreements that I love this part of it, I love that part of it, this works for me here and this works for me there, then the competition is really kind of shut out because we've been smart enough to attach our benefits to his needs. And I think probably the worst thing you can do is show any fright or intimidation by the competitors. And to, to basically to depend on your customers to give you the strong reference that you need. 
And you'd be surprised at how many people that think they have the whole slate of different competitors that they're going to throw at you. And they decide to, to cut it short because you solved their problem. And some people just don't want, they find buying very, very tense and stressful and, and people want to have a solution. And many of them do quickly. So competition is, uh, in some cases, you may not have the perfect fit. And uh, we teach, hey, if it's not a perfect fit, tell them, hey, I might not be your best resource. A lot of times when you actually say that, they'll say, no, 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 hold on. I like a couple of things about that. And uh, it clarifies it. It clarifies that uh, what you really want. So I think competition is a, a multifaceted uh, uh, approach sometimes, but it keeps us all healthy and, and aggressive out there in the sales field. I would imagine admitting that you're not a perfect fit, that maybe there are some things that, that aren't as great or, or aren't as good a fit is going to build up your credibility and is going to make you seem more trustworthy. So even though you may, it might be a little bit of a tactical retreat <laughs> when you say, you're right, we're not going to be able to supply this for another 90 days and you need this right away. But imagine from, from the buyer's standpoint, it's like, you know, maybe this guy isn't just blowing smoke at me. Right. You're absolutely right. I'm, it sounds like you've been in a Sandler class. That's exactly right. We call it, we call it being disarmingly honest. Now, I'm not going to say any of those things that we don't have against the competition. But I will say in general, I might not be the best resource for you. And it's interesting. It's called, it's called a negative re reverse. So I'm saying something they really do not expect me to say. And as you said, because I've done that, it gives me credibility that I'd take my hat out of the ring and say, hey, dude, I wish I could win your business, but I may not be that guy. And let them answer it. You'd be surprised how much people appreciate that. So Just don't forget, don't offer them any reasons why not to go with you. That's all. <laughs> They'll come up with their own. <laughs> So, so despite, you know, the fabulous research you've done and you, you really had a great conversation and, and everything seemed to go well, it, it just happened that the answer was no and you didn't make the sale. How does a professional salesperson handle rejection? Well, that's a several part question. Uh, first thing I would say is a professional salesperson is going to be inquisitive as to why no. And they'll, ha they'll have to handle that question with them professionally. But the other thing is uh, about us salespeople is we tend to be a little persistent, uh, more than just curious, persistent, and uh, to find a way to, you know, save it. When it does happen, you know, re rejection, when rejection happens, we look at ourselves, well, at Sandler, we teach a lot of things about behavior and attitude, not just technique. And one of the things you have to realize is your role as a salesperson is not who you are. You have an identity. You're Rodney. You're a podcaster. You're an ex-retired legal professional. But me saying no to you or me saying I'm not buying from you right now, you can't take it personally. I mean, rejection sucks. There's no question about it. And the more you got vested in this thing, the worse it is. So, yeah, we talked about having, you know, a long sales cycle and two years run up and you finally get your no. That's horrible. So you got to have 10 other things in your pipeline so it doesn't sting as much. But realizing that your your role is what's getting rejected, not you 
yourself. You're able to reframe things and feel fine about yourself and bounce back and go after the next one. I mean, nobody likes to lose, but if you don't have any other balls juggling in the air to be able to get done, then that's, that's shameful on your part. What are the best ways to learn from somebody saying no? What do you, what do you want to find out? And how does that help you kind of adjust your fire the next time you talk to somebody? First of all, one of the best ways to learn from it, so to speak, is to ask your prospect. Hey, you know what? I do this for a living. It seemed to me like we were, you know, onto something here, like we had a fit. Uh, it does this and does that. I summarize their issues that they want. Out of curiosity, what is it that I failed to do? that would have made you say yes, Rodney. So a question like that is usually received uh, very warmly because sometimes the buyer's under as much stress as a salesperson is. People reach out professionally and say how I can do better. That's somebody you probably would embrace because you, you would love your employees to do the exact same thing, right? Show interest, show desire to develop. You can flat out ask them what's going on. The other thing you have to do is is you have, to, you have to understand your behaviors. Are you making enough calls to deserve having good presentations to give that will bear out, you know, X amount of closes per month? You got to live religiously by that formula. We call it a cookbook. So if you're not making enough calls, you're not getting enough demonstrations or presentations or even meaningful conversations. And you can just predict your own demise. If you don't have enough working, you're not going to get it done. So you really don't have a right to be upset or sad or whatever. That's your job to get that activity going again. So you got to regenerate. Again, we're talking about the positive attitude, the resilience. Um, you've got to take charge of that because the more, the more you're able to fail, the more you're able to sell, if that makes sense. If you close one out of every five deals, then you better have 10 presentations in the month to make your numbers. Learning from it is being able to readjust your attitude, the amount of behaviors you do execute on, as we talked about, and using techniques to do better at each step of the way. You know, when I started doing this, I mean, I had certain preconceptions as to what qualities I might have that would be attractive to potential clients, you know, yeah. on how I write and what I do. And I remember talking to somebody and it was like, well, you know, why do you let writers go? Why do you stop hiring them? You know, what's what's the problem? And like when I when I ask that question very commonly, it's like people don't meet deadlines and they don't follow directions in the future. When I talked to people, I made sure they knew that I took directions <laughs> and I met <laughs> deadlines. I mean, I could, I could talk about all the flowery, wonderful background I have, but you know, these people were looking for something very basic and simple. And that was really the first things they were looking for. So, so yeah. asking those questions and finding that out because what you think is important may not be what, they think is important. My goodness, Rodney, you must have learned something before our first sales seminar together. <laughs> Sounds like you're an old hat. I've I've had a, a I've changed careers like some people change socks, Andy. So it's it's you know, in the words of the Grateful Dead, you know what a long strange trip it's been. So well, you know those guys don't wear socks anyway. So <laughs> right, you know so. You know, wrapping it up, you know, is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't talked about yet? 
You know, I, I think uh, some of the topics we we talked about deserve a little more visiting. You know, prospecting, the first one we talked about is the lifeblood of a sales organization. If you're not able to find new prospects to sell, you are not growing as a, as a company in general. Um, so as a salesperson, your ability to prospect, to do some of the things we talked about in terms of networking well, and there's hundreds of ideas uh, that I could share with you if you get in touch, but there's, there's so many things you can do that are creative and predictable that you can turn it into a, a, a system, a machine. It's something that makes you very viable as a hire on the next sales position you're, you go for. And if you're a business owner, a lot of times you're not thinking outside the box you've been put in in terms of how you get your customers. Small businesses feel like sometimes that they have to have their customers come to them, or maybe it is only about their network, uh, or maybe this marketing campaign doesn't work, so it's not going to really happen, and I'm running out of ideas. Prospecting is hard work, and if you have some creativity and some personality to you, you'll get, you'll get the business. I mean, you'll get opportunities at the business. So I think, I mean, that's one key thing. I have thousands of stories on, on prospecting that all you know, that 99% of them, or I should say 95% of them end up in, in, uh, in the toilet, if you will. But, you know, if you know your numbers, if you know that you can get those 10 meaningful conversations, which gives you five presentations, with, which gives you one close, and you're smart about and, and persistent and hardworking about filling that funnel up, you can't help but be a success after a while. It just, it, it won't evade you if you're a constant prospecting machine. And sooner or later, you'll realize you don't have to, time to prospect because you're so busy, busy selling deals. So that's one of the things that I think everybody should know is there's always different creative, unmentionable things sometimes that, uh, that are worth trying in prospecting. You know, one common way is cold calling. You know, you obviously, know you know, we've talked a lot about LinkedIn and doing research and, yeah. and, you know, picking the right people to call. But in the end, it's a really well-prepared cold call. So, you know, how do you make the most of that cold call and not see it as drudgery and rejection, just, just waiting to swallow you up? I really think it's valuable to have the mindset that if I do enough behaviors, I will win because you do. I mean, you could put uh, a monkey in a situation and if they touched enough of the right bun buttons, they'd end up winning. That's a behavior that you need to own. You need to, to you know, push for yourself. I don't like the word cold call because if you make a totally cold call, I think you're wasting your time. I mean, depending on what business you're in. If you go after an informed call, if you go after somebody through LinkedIn that you at least are second generation or have somebody in common that's worth talking about. Um, if you do a little bit of your homework to know what's going on, I think that's a hell of a lot more beneficial and more productive than picking up the phone and dialing for dollars. I just don't, I, I believe in what people think is a cold call, but I don't believe in doing a, a poor quality one going in there unprepared. That I believe, in fact, if you think about it, everything's come inside now to virtual. Before that time, if you had a 
big time decision maker on the top of a company, it was really hard to get through them uh, to them on the phone. Now they're working out of their living rooms and their cell phone numbers slip out on different uh, emails and so forth. So you can get it on the web. It's great. Nobody's calling CEOs because they're afraid of them or don't have any luck. I've had luck with four or five hits directly to a CEO. I think they were about to say, where'd you get this cell phone number? But we got down the conversation. So, I mean, that's a perfect opportunity of going fishing where other people aren't, aren't, whether it's creative or whether it's just lucky or whatever. Yeah, it changes things. It changes things. I will tell you this one, a, a one that worked for me that I never thought would work uh, back when I was selling for a technology company. And I was selling really to pretty big companies. So it was kind of intimidating. And I didn't think any CEO would pick up the phone. But I used a trick that an old sales manager of mine told me about. And he said, write a nice letter, tell them about how much money you can save them, and put a crispy $1 bill in there and say, I believe based on our ROI calculations, we can save you between 300,000 and 1 million of these. Follow up if you want to know more. So I did waste 40 bucks of crispy Spanish angles. <laughs> I did indeed. But one of them was like, dude, this is awesome. Nice job. I got to, you know, I can't help you because I don't need this, that, or the other. But he gave me a referral that actually turned into something. And I did it uh, several times. And it always, it always worked. But it was a question how many of them you mailed out, how many of them you followed up on. Uh, a couple of them I just called up and said, hey, dude, if you're not buying, can I have my dollar back? <laughs> so, that's creativity. So are there any other, whether it's a technique or a method or approach that you think is maybe underappreciated or, or underused in the in the sales world? Well, actually, a lot of them. We teach. I mean, we have fun. Uh, when I say we at Sandler, uh, at Sandler, we have a lot of fun with the uncomfortableness of different uh, you know, methods. And some of them are just fun to do because to blow off steam, but others are effective in some cases. So I call up and say, hey, Rodney, this is Andy Rich. Listen, before we go further, let me just tell you, this is a cold call. Now, I don't like them any more than you do, but, and it gets people laughing and dropping their guard because they know the first five words out of your mouth, you're a damn cold caller, and I want to get you off as much as, you know, quickly as possible, right? It's things like that. I think, I guess the, uh, the interesting thing to me, though, is it's really about a system. I'm sitting here kicking out stories of stuff that I've done in the past. And if you're going to be a professional in sales, you have to have some of these basics. They have to be part of you. They have to be knee-jerk, reflex, confident, seamless responses and uh, directions you go in the sales cycle. The right thing to say, the right time to say it the right time to say nothing. What works and what doesn't? Put your money on what you've been trained. Uh, put your money on what uh, you've noticed is towards the odds instead of against the odds. It's, I mean, that's the fun part for me. You know, I, I played a lot of sports in, uh, in my life. And, and when I got into business, I wanted to get into something that was really exciting and fun and, and game-like. I really think that the people that... Uh, that have fun with it and play the games are the people that thrive in the end because they enjoy doing it. 
So use a system, never stop learning it, never stop trading stories of what has worked, uh, never stop networking. These are things that make for, you know, a really successful lifetime of sales professionalism. And hopefully, if you're that good, you'll become wealthy in the end, huh? So if somebody wants to reach out to you and learn some more, how would they do that? Well, Rodney, it's www.andyrich.sandler.com or andy.rich at sandler.com or 917-886-9405, 917-886-9405. And you can find me right here in the town of Newtown, Newtown Borough, where the Business Association works. Thanks a lot for your time, Andy. It's been uh, it's been a great three episodes, and maybe we can come up with a reason for a number four sometime. So. Hey, I hope so. That'd be great, Rodney. Thanks for hosting. It's been a pleasure. Until next time, thanks, everybody, for listening to the NBA Business School podcast. Please subscribe. You know, Check out the older episodes and check out the future ones as well. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Newtown Business Association's Business School podcast. You can learn more about the NBA and join the association at newtownba.org. That's www.newtownba.org.